back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It is time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School Broadcast. How's everything going for you, everyone? Hope you're all doing well on this Monday, the 29th day of the month of November, the final Monday of the month. Hopefully, all of you out there had a very safe, happy, fun uh, Thanksgiving uh, last uh, Thursday. It was more fun for yours truly because I got my... uh, Favorite part of the Thanksgiving holiday back uh, the night before, which is, of course, uh, Thanksgiving Eve. But that's uh, that's a story for another time and uh, place. A lot going on for the end of the month of November. going to actually talk about some college football a, a little bit later today, something I have been absent from talking about a lot uh, this year, but we've, we're getting down to nitty-gritty of the uh, college football season. A lot of uh, exciting things happening, uh, taking place there. Uh, you know, with so much up in the air when it comes to the college football playoff. Also, of course, give, some, give your thoughts on everything that went on in uh, week 12 of the NFL this past week. But, of course, got uh, to start with baseball because we're about to enter for the next 72 hours what I feel is an unprecedented time in the baseball offseason. So, you know, normally baseball's offseason, as far as free agent spending – is more spread out. It's more, you know, we're sitting around waiting for the other shoe to uh, drop, wondering when free agents are going to sign. A lot of them will sign during the winter meetings, which take place uh, this week, uh, an early winter meetings compared to the way they usually are. And you always, you'll usually have a couple of big free agents that will hold on past Christmas into the month of January. Even even sometimes we've seen as late as like two weeks before spring training a big free agent sign just to make sure they got their money. If I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, it was either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper that were still sitting out there as pitchers and catchers were uh, reporting for uh, big league spring training. But uh, this year it's going to be kind of different. This year it's going to be kind of weird because it's going to come at us fast. It's going to come at us like the NBA free agency typically does. And that is because with Wednesday night, midnight into uh, 
Thursday uh, on December 2nd, that's when the current collective bargaining agreement comes to an end. That's when, you know, there's been all the rumors, speculation, talk that we're going to have a lockout in Major League Baseball. Now, right now, it's not the uh, biggest deal in the world uh, just due to the fact that it's uh, the offseason in baseball. Now, it'd be a bigger deal if, say, we're in the month of April and uh, you know, we got no games uh, being played and you're wondering if there's going to be season at all. There, there's still time for cool heads to prevail. And as I've said, just don't be public about your negotiations. Uh, don't go out there with a hissing fight every, every single day because no one wants to see millionaires and billionaires do that. It's kind of insulting. But with that being said, now you're going to see a lot of free agents that are looking to just jump on board and get their deals done, want to get it out of the way. And we've seen that in the last 24 hours. You saw Trevor, you know, Marcus Simeon, excuse me, sign a seven-year deal with the Texas Rangers. You also saw the Rangers sign John Gray from the Rockies. Uh, Kevin Gosman signed a five-year contract with the Toronto Blue Jays uh, last night, taking less money than he was offered by the New York Mets. Steven Matz got a four-year contract from the Cardinals uh, just uh, the other day, and I thought he was going to be one of those guys that was going to be pitching year-to-year um, for deals, considering uh, some of his inconsistencies at times. So the Giants lock up uh, some of uh, their pitchers in the, this uh, last week. There's been a lot of movement that has already gone on, and that's where... Uh, we get to my uh, jumping off point here with the New York Mets because you know, last week I was critical of the fact that they had not had a general manager in place in time for the GM meetings two weeks ago that Billy Epler just got here. Hell, he, I don't even think he's living on this side of the country yet. He's still in the process of moving his family over. But he's already swinging for the fences. He's already making deals. He's already doing things to make the Mets better. And that's coming at a time right after you know, I was concerned how the Mets offseason was going to go. Because I mentioned a moment ago, Stephen Matz re-signing or signing with the St. Louis Cardinals. Game four years, $44 million. Well, according to... Many media outlets out there. He was in negotiations to come back to the New York Mets. And that deal, it either fell apart or he used that deal as a way to get more money from other teams interested, albeit the Cardinals. And that didn't leave uh, owner Steve Cohen too happy. He, He was out there tweeting his displeasure on how the deal went down, on how he felt Matt's and his agent acted unprofessional in this uh, negotiating power, tweeting, quote, I'm not happy this morning. I've never seen such an unprofessional behavior exhibited by a player's agent. I guess words and promises don't matter. Well, listen, Steve, you're, 
you've been a businessman all your life. Yeah, words are one thing, but until ink is put to paper, you know, people are going to do what's best for themselves and for their their uh, own personal life, for their their family, their family situation based on not just the amount of money they're getting, but looking at the living uh, situation, you know, probably doesn't have to deal with as much of a, uh, you know, tax uh, issue living in or near St. Louis as he would, you know, living in the tri-state area. And the Cardinals have had a habit of taking uh, pitchers that are kind of, eh, you know, middle of the pack and getting the best overall quality out of them. So, yeah, I I can understand you being annoyed that you didn't complete a deal. But let, let's think about who we're talking about here. It's Steven Matz, who was very inconsistent, dealt with some injuries um, when he was with the Mets, never lived up to the billing of being that top pitching prospect um, that he was once ballyhooed about back in 2015. That's why you guys moved on from him uh, so quickly a couple of uh, years ago. So to get all worked up with that, I, I thought that was an embarrassing sign for an an owner to be out there tweeting about a deal that did not get done and had the industry laughing about them. And I was kind of concerned, uh, is this going to hurt the Mets in free agency? Well, clearly the last 72 hours, it has not because Billy Epler has gotten to work and done a lot to make this team so much better. And that's even before anything that's gone on within the last hour. If you take out Anything that's gone on since noontime on this Monday afternoon, you look at the Mets offseason and you uh, say, wow, they've done a, a pretty good job. They've gotten off to a good start. They've added quality depth in the likes of uh, Eduardo Escobar and uh, Mark Hanna, two guys that, you know, it's not going to, Knock your socks off. Not gonna. Not the sexiest moves in the world, and might have overspent in both in both cases. Been in Escobar. You bring in a guy that can play first, second, and third. Um, who knows? Maybe that turns out to be for you your DJ LeMahieu move uh, of uh, two years ago. Bringing in a guy that you can move around the infield and pretty much use as a regular everyday player and give you quality production at those positions. Canna is a guy that can play all three outfield positions. And while he's not going to hit for a high average, does bring a little bit of pop and had 17 home runs last year. And as uh, Billy Epler probably loves high on base uh, percentage uh, guy, probably spent a no, more than you thought you were going to have to spend to get Marcana. But hey, maybe this is a sign that they are moving on from Michael Conforto. I mean, if that wasn't a sign, clearly it was uh, later in the night when they added uh, Starling Marte, giving them a two time gold glove uh, winning center fielder and 
getting him for uh, less than twenty million per season. A guy th- that has experienced uh, being in uh, winning clubhouses, uh, being in uh, playoff contending uh, teams. A guy that was sought after by division rivals, by your local competition in the Yankees. And you bring him in on a four-year deal that's not going to cripple you in the long run. No, now finances shouldn't hurt the Mets too, too much because they have now what's thought of as the richest owner in all of uh, baseball in Steve Cohen. And you know, just looking at that, you're saying, all right, the Mets add a, a center fielder. They add a, a guy that's in Canada that's capable of playing all four outfield spots. And even if he's not our everyday starting right fielder or left fielder, we can move him around uh, based on uh, the uh, lineup circumstances. Well, then uh, the Mets would really swing for the fences. Then the Mets would really, you know, just knock everyone's socks off when this morning or late last night the reports started coming out about Max Scherzer. When the reports that, you know, all along we figured that he was going to just stay in California, pitch for well, the, the Dodgers, the Giants, uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And then you start seeing the Mets name involved in there, and you're like, whoa, time out there. This this is eye-popping. This is uh, knock your shoes off. This is you know Steve Cohen saying to hell with the luxury taxes, to, to hell with you know getting passed up by the likes of Gauzman and by Stephen Matz. Let's go for the biggest fish that is out there. And as of about a half hour ago, the deal is done. The Mets have come to an agreement with former three-time Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer on a three-year, $130 million contract. Now, I have, as of this moment, I have not read all the details of this. I'm not sure if there's a, you know, opt-out in there somewhere along the way. I'm not... But, wow, three years at an average annual salary of over $43 million a year. First off, that's mind-boggling to hear for a Major League Baseball player, but especially a pitcher. But this is is a game-changing day for the Mets and Mets fans. You wanted ownership that would spend money. You wanted ownership that would bring in uh, big fish and have you competitive in the free agent market. Well, they've done that. They've done that. Even before this, you know, adding the depth, adding the quality that they added on Friday. And now you bring in a future first ballot Hall of Fame starting pitcher, a guy that, you know, when you combine what he's done with what Jacob DeGrom's done, you have two of the best five pitchers in the sport. Over the last seven, eight years, you have two guys that between them have five Cy Young awards and 12 all-star appearances. Now, as a baseball fan, 
I hope that this is not some kind of sign about something being further wrong about Jacob deGrom than we had already heard. I mean, at, at last thought or last reported, he had a clean bill of health at season's end. He um, what came out of uh, uh, last year, even though we didn't see him for the final three months, they said he would be good to go for spring training. Has that changed in the last uh, couple of weeks and months since the Mets season ended? I don't know. That that's you know that's why I was so hoping that he would come back before the end of the season to pitch. And whether that thing blows out or not, at least you had some kind of answer going into spring training. But whether this is a just adding a luxury onto already having a great pitcher by having now two of the, the best pitchers in the sport side by side in your rotation, or this is you know protecting your rear end in case something's wrong for DeGrom. You can, there's no way you can be anything but ecstatic if you are a New York uh, Mets player or a New York Mets fan right now. This is the kind of move that you waited years for. This is the kind of move that the Wilpons, you know, outside of the Johan Santana trade, never really allowed to happen. You you would every year in the offseason in free agency, you would sit there and you would say, where are the Mets? Why are they not doing anything? Why are they not more involved in in free agency, and they've gotten involved. They have, they they haven't just stuck their toe in the water here, folks. They've jumped in head first, and they've given you a center fielder, an all-star center fielder, quality depth at the infield and the outfield, and given you the best starting pitcher available to add to what was already a great starter in Jacob Degrom. Now. They're still they're not a finished product, but in my view, they still have work to do. They, you know, you look at you have the Grom and Scherzer at the top of the rotation. Still got a couple other spots in that rotation to fill. I don't think you're going to be going into next year with, uh, you know, it being David Peterson and anybody you could drag out of the minor leagues as your fourth and fifth starters. You would probably with how Taiwan Walker was leaking fuel last year, you would probably prefer a stronger option as your fourth starter or push him back to the number four spot and get another pitcher in this rotation. And you definitely need to add some bullpen help, something that's been a bugaboo of the Mets in recent years. But there is no doubt, there is no question, this is a great day for the Mets it's an exciting day for the Mets, and it's something that you have long, long dreamed of. All right, I'm going to take my first break of the podcast here. Got a lot I want to talk about uh, through the next about 40 minutes here. Give you some thoughts on uh, week 12 in the NFL, uh, the Thanksgiving games, uh, the Jets and Giants victories over this week, as well as mixing some college football uh, along the way. So please sit back, 
relax, help. Put your feet up on the table if there's one in front of you. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Like I said a few moments ago, I hope you all had a very happy, safe, comfortable uh, Thanksgiving no, the, the football wasn't great on Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, I, I still, to this day, it's one of the unknown mysteries that, quite frankly, I will never understand. Why do we always have to get the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving? Why, why is it that we have to sit there and put ourselves through this team that, you know, how long has it been since they've won a game? I mean, what, was it even in the month of December last year when they la- last won a game, or was it prior to Thanksgiving last year? They have been that bad, that putrid. I mean, if uh, Dan Campbell was sent in with the marching orders to get the first overall pick. They're really doing a good job on that, even though who that first overall pick might be in question right now. Get to that a little bit uh, later. Uh, But while it was a competitive game for the most part, you you always sat there and you wondered, how are the Lions going to lose this game? How are they uh, going to uh, uh, screw this one up? And you know, the fact that they could not get off the field, not get their offense back out there, even with their inability to run the football after losing uh, DeAndre Swift, their defense couldn't make a, a stop on that final drive of the game. You know, the Bears you know, were able to milk the clock away with an 18-play drive over the last eight and a half minutes and set up uh, Santos for a what would turn out to be a chip-shot game-winning field goal in the final couple of seconds to end uh, the five-game losing streak for the Bears, a losing streak that, you no. Know, 
A lot of it was due to injuries on defense. Some of it due to the fact that they were uh, running out there a uh, rookie uh, quarterback with uh, Justin Fields. He unfortunately wasn't able to play, and you had to play Andy Dalton. And you figured that would be what put them over the top, put give gave them the advantage against the Detroit uh, Lions. Having a veteran out there taking advantage of a team that, you know, is still struggling and wondering if they're going to be able to avoid their second winless season in franchise history. Now, of course, the one competitive game of the day would be the game that I would not get to see a lot of because uh, we had uh, Thanksgiving dinner, I think, starting at halftime, so I've missed a lot of the craziness of this game, but the the Raiders get off the snide uh, against the Cowboys, uh, ending uh, their uh, three-game losing streak. You know, for now, uh, calming things down, putting a Band-Aid on the bleeding. Now, a couple of things with this game. First off, like, you had what is now being reported as the largest viewing audience for an NFL game this millennium with somewhere you know, over 38 million uh, rating. And the, the officials made this game all about themselves with 28, 28 combined accepted penalties. I mean, that, that was, that was an eyesore to watch at times. Um, in the fourth quarter. Now I know Anthony Brown did a lot of it to himself with all the pass interference penalties that he was committing and looking back at them, at at least three of them were definite pass interference penalties, especially the one that set up the game winning field goal at the end. But a lot of these problems go beyond just the penalties go beyond, you know, the, Bad officiating and lack of discipline by uh, Dallas at times. The, the fact that they've uh, now lost three out of four games. You know, you look at, you know, where the hell is Ezekiel Elliott? It, we're looking at now six straight games where his uh, rushing total went downwards. And I know he's playing with some minor knee injury, but as I've always learned, injury, as long as you're out there, Injuries cannot be considered an excuse. Now, maybe they decide to give him a get well week, a you know, kind of uh, calm things down and give him a bye this Thursday against uh, the Saints. But the problem is, you look at the Cowboys uh, right now, you know, between Zeke not being able to uh, run the ball effectively, you have a Greg Zerline, um, who has been decent for them the last couple of years, now he's going through some struggles. Um, you know, put them in spots where they were forced to go for two point conversions late in the game with his uh, missed extra point and missing his uh, fifth field goal on the, the season. Along with the fact that you know they were without Cooper. They, they were without Lamb. Hopefully, they'll have both of them back uh, this uh, Thursday night, although I 
really think as long as they have one of them back, they'll be able to get by the Saints. And their inability to to cover downfield. I mean, Renfro was able to uh, do whatever he wanted. Was that safety valve for Derek Carr, especially once uh, Darren Waller went out of uh, this game. And the Cowboys have to be counting their lucky stars, pun unintended, on the fact that they play in the NFC East or as most would call it, the NFC least, because they've lost three out of four games and still sit here with a two-and-a-half game lead in the, the division with the way the Eagles played yesterday, how you can't trust the Washington football team, and the Giants are you know a mess offensively. Or that they are they're very lucky to not in, you know, the AFC West or you know the NFC West with the way they played. I mean, you you look at the Rams have lost three in a row and they've fallen uh, all the way uh, to two and a half behind the Cardinals. Well, the Cowboys have played just as crappy in that time and they still manage a significant lead in uh, their division over uh, the Eagles, Washington, and the Giants. Now, the problem for the Cowboys is going to be this coming week. Now, who the hell is going to coach that team? Because now you have uh, Mike McCarthy testing positive for COVID. There's at least five members, other members of the coaching staff that have tested positive for COVID. And you have um, one player still uh, missing uh, due to COVID. So, got to consider themselves lucky that they're going up against the New Orleans Saints right now, who... You know, just as I described, have described the Raiders the last couple of weeks, I think the Saints' season is about to fall apart right in front of us, if it hasn't already. Because, thank God I had to go to bed early to get up for work the next morning and didn't have to put myself through the fourth quarter of Bill's Saints. Because by halftime, you could kind of see where the thing was going. Yeah, Josh Allen threw a couple of picks, kept it competitive. It was a 10-point game at half. But you never you never had that sense that the Saints were going to be able to drive down the field on a consistent basis to remain competitive in the this football game. I mean, you, you look at they were already without Alvin Kamara. They and uh, Michael Thomas. They it's announced hours before the game that Ingram wa- wasn't going to be uh, playing. And you know, while it was a acute story at first with Trevor Simeon coming in in relief of uh, Jameis Winston in that Bucks game uh, weeks ago to hold on for a victory, they've started to slowly but surely uh, slip away when it comes to uh, being competitive and being in any sort of playoff race. Now, standings-wise, it'll still show that they are within a half game of a wild-card spot. But you know, let's look at this team on paper. As, as good as Sean Payton is, now, unless he gets the Drew Brees of 10 years ago to come out of retirement or gets Phillip Rivers to come out of retirement and quarterback this team. 
which had been rumored about weeks ago, gets Kamara back healthy, somehow gets Michael Thomas back healthy, which we know that's not happening. You know, the, this team just looks shot. They look dead in the water and look like a team that's lacking energy, lacking emotion. You know, Jameis Winston, say what you want about him, but there's something about him that, I don't know, there's just a flair to him. While sometimes the numbers aren't as impressive, you know, he was winning games for this team. He had this team in the the driver's seat, if not to win the division, at least, you know, cause some chaos and make things painful for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going down the stretch. Now you look at at them and you're like, are they even going to finish with a winning record? I mean, the, the Buffalo Bills were moving the football down the field on will of uh, the other night. Now, the only reason that this wasn't, you know, 24 nothing at half rather than 10 nothing at half is because of the turnovers by Allen. Otherwise, this was a very non-competitive game uh, when it comes to uh, Thanksgiving night. Now, as for our two local teams here, you know, both the Jets and the Giants, so... Uh, Got off the, um, the uh, loser's end of the pool and picked up victories uh, yesterday with the Jets going to Houston and uh, uh, pulling off a win against the Texans. A Texans team that prior to last week had lost eight in a row and still was somehow favored against the Jets. That's how poorly the Jets had uh, been playing, that they were viewed as an underdog to a Texans team that I've accused of tanking um, this season. And, you know, a couple of the big things you look at uh, from yesterday, you know, it was good that they were still able to run the football even without the rookie Michael Carter. Still had 150 uh, yards on the ground. The, you know, the offensive line, I didn't think, did a great job protecting Zach Wilson in his first game back, and that's why you know maybe he made some of the questionable decisions that he uh, made. But for them to still be able to run the football without their uh, lead back was a pretty decent sign. And Wilson, you look at him, you know, it was kind of a eh performance by him yesterday. That he did that interception he threw was no. You almost can't make it up. He taking off and running and then deciding as he's leaping over the line of scrimmage that that's going to be the moment in which he throws the football. I, I'm sitting there. I'm ready to pull the hair out of my head with how, you know, annoyed and uh, you know, disgusted I was at that moment. But, you no, know, give the Jets credit. The, the defense played uh uh, pretty well. John Franklin Myers actually you know, woke up and showed a pulse for the first time since his contract extension. Maybe it was the fact that he had over 60 family members and friends at the game. But you know, good to see him actually do something uh, for once. And you know, there's not going to be a lot of these victories 
for the Jets over the the remainder of the schedule. I mean, you look at it there. They got the Eagles coming up this week. Then they got the the Saints back to back home games. Um, they'll play the Jaguars, the Bucks, the Bills, the Dolphins. Um, all of of the remainder of their schedule. I mean, you look at maybe the Jaguars. They might be favored against after you know the Jaguars remained. Uh, at two wins yesterday with their loss to the Falcons, maybe that might be the one game they're favored again uh, with. But you know, there's not going to be many victories for this team left on the schedule. The, the important things for them as they come down the stretch are continuing to see progress from these young players. Uh, you now, hopefully, Carter can come back and uh, play well. You, you know, you didn't see much from Elijah Moore uh, yesterday, but. Uh, Probably a positive that you weren't, you know, just trying to force the ball to one uh, receiver and just let the game come to you as it was, and it proved out that the best option for the Jets was running the football yesterday. Uh, as I said, uh, Vera Tucker's played well at guard, and of course the quarterback. You now Zach Wilson, it's about going through these growing pains, uh, and. You know, having him ready in the long run so that this is hopefully our guy that takes us through the next 10, 12 years. Um, and we're not continuously looking for a new quarterback every uh, three years. Now, it would help if Makai Becton uh, saw the field again, but uh, that, as they say, is a story for another day. Now, after l- last week's a blowout loss to the Bucks on Monday Night Football. The Giants would fire offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. And Jay, no, kind of felt like a scapegoat kind of thing because yes, Jason Garrett had had not got it, done a great job here. Some of his play calling was questionable. But let's face it, the Giants' offense has been awful for the last several years. I mean, I don't remember the last time they scored 30 points in a game. And the way things are officiated these days, the way teams play defense, you know, even bad teams roll out of bed and score 30 every now and then. Hell, the Jets scored 30 against the Colts a couple of weeks ago. They scored 34 against the Bengals. So for them to go this long without scoring 30 points is you know, almost mind-boggling. And it didn't matter... To me, whether Jason Garrett was calling plays, Freddie Kitchens, uh, whether you, you know, brought back Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, whoever you you want to call plays, the Giants' offense has been a uh, problem for a long time. A lot of it due to the offensive line, and some of it due to uh, health with uh, weapons being in and out of the lineup. But the you know the last couple of weeks have been probably the healthiest the Giants have been offensively the uh, the le- all season long. Now, the, the problem yesterday is, now, once again, this offense stalled, but the defense uh, came up big time and uh, you know, held the Eagles in check. Even with the fact that the Eagles ran for over 200 yards yesterday, the, the problem for Philadelphia was that Jalen Hurts throwing the football 
reared its ugly head again. And what I don't understand is why they got away from running the football uh, as much. You know, you still had Hurts. You still you know, had uh, Boston Scott. I know they were without Howard due to injury uh, uh, yesterday. But, uh, you know, it was a three-point game at halftime. It was a, you were within a touchdown heading into the fourth quarter. And you're out there, you know that he struggles at, with throwing the football, and you have him drop back to throw 31 passes? It, it made no sense, and including, you know, especially when you see him get picked off twice in the first half, both of which uh, were at the goal line, the second one uh, being by uh, Crowder uh, right as you were heading into a halftime. You now run the football. No, you're not getting blown out. It's one thing you're down by 30 and you have to chuck the ball around the yard to get uh, back in the game. But it was a three-point game. But did not understand why, with how effective that the Eagles have been running the football as of late, why they got away from that so quickly. And, you know, I'm sure at all of the Philadelphia sports radio um, channels uh, today, now, fans are calling in, crying, screaming, complaining on why the hell did we draft uh, Jalen Rager? Why, when Justin Jefferson was still on the board, did we take this absolute step? I mean, you look at even as well as the Giants played yesterday, you know, that the Eagles still could have broken their hearts in the final couple of seconds. Rager, you know, if instead of bouncing off his face mask, he catches that ball, we're sitting here talking about a 14-13 victory for the Eagles and whether they're going to run down Dallas for the NFC East. Instead, Cowboy fans can take a, a deep breath, Eagle fans are cursing up a storm, and the Giant fans are sitting there saying, yeah, our defense played well. But what did we really learn from yesterday? All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side, and recap everything else that went down in Week 12 of the NFL. Continue keeping sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO.
Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 for this Monday, the last Monday of the month of November. Now, reminder, tell your friends about where they can find the podcast each and every single Monday or more likely this will be posted on Tuesday morning. Uh, the the links to find it, you can find Keeping Sports with M3 on Spotify, uh, Google Play, and the the actual website for the podcast through uh, the Podbean app uh, will be posted on my Twitter account at Keeping It Sports and at M3 Rosansky. That's at M T H R E E R O Z A N S K Y at M3 Rosansky, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Keeping It Sports with M3. Now, we're in the period of the NFL schedule where you look for teams to start to separate, especially when you consider we came into this week where over 20 teams, I think the exact number was 22 teams, were either at or above 500 and within shouting distance of a playoff spot. And now with the fact that we're in a 17-game over 18-week schedule, that's going to keep teams in it just a little bit longer. You hope that we get to that eight when we get to that 18th week on Sunday, January 9th, that there is the potential for chaos to break loose and for crazy things to happen. And you know, the last several weeks, I think we are seeing crazy things happen. Like, you really wonder what the hell is going through the Tennessee Titans' mind and whether they either want to win the AFC South or even care about the potential of getting that first overall um, spot in the AFC because you know, two weeks ago we're sitting here talking, are they the best team in the AFC even without Derrick Henry? You know, still able to run the football uh, pretty well with the fact Henry's out for the year and the fact that they got no production whatsoever from Adrian Peterson. And now the last two weeks... You know, they're giving up the football like gangbusters. They've had nine turnovers in their last two games. Uh, and, you know, they're moving the football up and down the field. You know, last week, putting up over 400 yards against the Texans and still not finding a way uh, to come out on top. And then yesterday, having turnovers against the last team that you want to turn the football over against against the last coach you want to turn the football over against because you know that he'll take advantage of every opening you give him and then some. And that is, of course, the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, who continue to make yours truly sick to his stomach with now their sixth consecutive win. And with that win 
putting themselves a half game up on the, the Buffalo Bills for uh, the AFC East and putting themselves in the number two spot in the AFC postseason with the fact that you know Mac Jones is not going out there turning the, the football over constantly like you're seeing uh, from uh, Tannehill who had his uh, you know, fifth pick in the last two games uh, yesterday. Now, the, the Titans, as I said, they ran for over 200 yards yesterday and still got blown out because they uh, uh, fumbled the, the football multiple times, a couple times when they were within reasonable scoring territory. Now puts the, the uh, Patriots in a spot where they go play the Buffalo Bills next Monday night in the first of two meetings that they have over the rest of the schedule. And all I could say, and I never thought in my wildest dreams I would ever, ever utter these words, but let's go, Buffalo. Now, I'm going to have to sit there and root for the Buffalo Bills who have caused me as much misery in my own life as anyone in the last couple of years and have a scenario that I can only truly dream about uh, right now with the way they've got... uh, their quarterback situation, their coach, head coach situation, and uh, uh, great coordinators truly on lockdown. Now, now a couple of, couple other things we saw that yesterday. You no, know, I talked about the Eagles getting away from their ground game. What the hell was up with the Colts? The Colts are, are up by ten at halftime. And, you know, they just get away from running the football. Now, you've seen the MVP caliber season that Jonathan Taylor's having. And out of, you know, 67 plays yesterday, you only run the football 20 times. There was a string in which you had 18 or 19 consecutive uh, drop back pass plays. And you you seemingly had control of this game. Carson Wentz wasn't turning over the football. You were able to, uh, you know, keep you know the ground game of the Buccaneers in check until you know Leonard Fournette just went wild in the second half. But then you know came the the game changing moment of the game when early in the third quarter Shaq lo- uh uh, excuse me, uh, Shaq Barrett uh, sacks Carson Wentz, gets uh, the uh, the forced fumble, and kind of turned things around because they were in the red zone. They were looking as at an opportunity to potentially go up by three scores at that point. And instead, it breathed new life into the Buccaneers. I mean, you, you look, the Colts turned it over. 
were moving the football in the third quarter, turned the ball over twice uh, on the Buccaneers' 35-yard line, and the, the Bucks would march down the field um, on seemingly every drive after that to score. Now, they almost allowed what would have been a, a game-tying uh, uh, kickoff return in the final 30 seconds, but got bailed out with Carson Wentz uh, throwing an interception at the goal line to end the game. And I don't want to make this about Carson Wentz and throwing interceptions because you know, the, there are more people to blame that. I think you look at that coaching staff and say, you've been so successful with running the football in recent weeks. Jonathan Taylor's your best player. How do you get away from that? Well, I even with the Bucks being a pretty good um, at uh, um, defending uh, the run, I've always been a believer. Stick with your strengths. Stick with what you're good at. Make the opposition adjust to you. And it, if you no know, that fails, at least you go um, and put your head. Up on the pillow at night and say, all right, we gave it our best shot with our strengths, with our uh, what makes us a good football team, rather than forcing the opposition uh, or having the opposition forcing you out of your own personal comfort zone. A couple of quarterbacks, I think we can start to say it might be, you know, might be just about over for are both Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Newton. Now, now Ben had three turnovers yesterday through a couple of picks, but the Steelers' defense had no answers for Joe Mixon. Second straight week, he was a man possessed. He's now got close to 300 rushing yards and four touchdowns across the last two games, carrying uh, the Bengals back to... uh, a seven and four mark, having them a, a game and a half out in the AFC North. But uh, you're slowly starting to see reality sink in for the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, and this is the problem I talked about weeks ago. You know, uh, with uh, them that he's not capable of carrying the full load anymore. A and B, you know, they're not bad enough to draft high in, in the draft for a quarterback, but they're also not good enough to be a playoff contender. I mean, NBC could list them as a playoff contender or within the race uh, all they wanted to last night. But if you watch this Steelers team week in, week out, you know, they're a kind of middle-of-the-pack team. They don't suck, but there's nothing that they're, you look at them and you say, wow, that's something I can be excited about. That is something that I can get behind. And the other team that might be facing that quarterback reality is the Panthers, as they got blown out by the Dolphins yesterday, and Cam Newton having just as putrid a game, as bad a game as I can remember um, from an NFL quarterback. And 
less than a 25% completion percentage in a game. He throws two interceptions and gets benched in the fourth quarter for P.J. Walker. I mean, makes you wonder if just based on his performance, you know, if he, he plays uh, this poor against the Falcons next week, say Sam Darnold is ready to go in at some point in the month of December, is Sam going to luck his way back into being the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers? And it sinks because you know the real story here should be all oh, the Dolphins winning their fourth in a row, uh, getting uh, back into uh, wild card contention. Jalen Waddle uh, having the best day of any rookie across the sport. But in, with how captivating a personality Cam is, and how up in the air the Panthers' quarterback situation. It has been all year. It gets kind of lost in the dust. Now, from 4 o'clock on uh, yesterday, I thought you had some very captivating football. I mean, the Chargers go into Denver and uh, uh, lose a game that you start wondering, are the Chargers going to pull their typical Chargerness, where they get off to good starts and then choke down the stretch. Especially, you know, you're looking at you know, Herbert, who throws two interceptions to Patrick Sertan, the second one taken uh, back to the house. Austin Eckler was you know, kind of a, a non-factor uh, throughout this game. And you, you're sitting there, you're looking at this, and you're wondering, was it just... No, bad Chargers, or are the the Broncos a halfway decent team? I mean, the the problem I got with the Broncos is the quarterback position because you you love what you see on defense. They have three really good wide receivers, but as far as uh, the quarterback position, you have no idea what the status is of Teddy Bridgewater now with his uh, injury yesterday. And Drew Locke is clearly not the answer. If he is the answer, I want to know what the question is. So, now, the, now I had long speculated during last offseason that Aaron Rodgers was eventually going to be a Denver Bronco. You know, if if that happens... This offseason, when he clearly wants out, no, look out. Denver in the future is going to be a very, very dangerous uh, football team. And speaking of uh, said Packers, Packers uh, take advantage of the Rams yesterday who are seemingly falling apart before our eyes. I mean, a month ago at this time, we're talking about the Rams and thinking they could be the number one seed in the NFC talking about oh are they going to be the the second team in a row out of the NFC to host the Super Bowl? Now we're just concerned on you no know, if they can make the playoffs or they're just going to fall apart because you know yesterday was their third consecutive loss. We talk about this pass rush that they have put together with Floyd, trading for Von Miller, and Dominic Sue there. 
well, they can't even take advantage of the this that strength because a you're going up against Aaron Rodgers who gets the football out as quick as anybody, and b teams are taking advantage of the weakness of the Los Angeles Rams, and that's you know they can't stop the ground game. They you know you either have a spot like last week where they're giving up 170 plus rushing yards. Um, against uh, the 49ers or two weeks ago when they played on Monday Night Football, or you go up against a, a quarterback that can get out, get the football out in reasonably good time and not just have uh, you looking around shaking uh, your head. Now, Rodgers has done that to a lot of people over uh, his career, but uh, with the Rams yesterday, a couple problems I see beyond just what I look at defensively. A, Stafford has has started the struggle. Third consecutive game in which he's given up a uh, pick six. Uh, the longest streak that there's been in the league in about 10 years. They're turning the football over. I mean, now that they had you know, a couple of... Uh, one turnover on a punt return in in which you know they're still within shouting distance, but uh, that um, muffed um, punt return by Koshi turned it into a two score game, and then you get to a a a pick six by uh, Rasul Douglas late in the third quarter that kind of put this game on ice. I know you no. Know, Stafford would tack on some late scores there and make it a little bit interesting, but you never you never had that feel down with them down by nineteen, even with uh, you know touchdowns by Cup by Odell Beckham that they were going to come back and uh, lead this game. I mean, their defense on the back half uh, was getting torched by uh, Devontae Adams for most of the day. How the first half, Randall Cobb, until he went out with uh, some groin injury, uh, had a field day against them. I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to look at the Rams a lot the way I looked at during the baseball season, the San Diego Padres, where you worry, are there? too many chefs in the kitchen are there too do they have too much of a good thing and have they concerned themselves with adding too many high quality high level players rather than having depth and having a uh, you know an all around quality football team being too concerned with being in the city in the, the city of angels and having stars uh, the 49ers defeat the Vikings uh, yesterday. 49ers have gotten hot ever since getting blown out by the Colts on uh, Sunday Night Football in Week 7. They're, they've gone back to running the football. Uh, uh, they uh, took advantage of a rare interception by Kirk Cousins early in the third quarter uh, to uh, set up a, a, a rushing touchdown by uh, Mitchell. And uh, uh, were on the, the unfortunate end and I say unfortunate because you never like to see it an injury, but we're on the fortunate, unfortunate end of Dalvin Cook um, fumbling the football, t- uh, 
probably tearing his labrum um, on uh, the play and could be costly for the Vikings. But now you sit here and you look at the 49ers, 4-1 in their last um, five games. They're running the football well. Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, not making a lot of mistakes. There hasn't been any talk recently of Trey Lance uh, being an option. And with the the struggles of the Rams in that division, the fact that you know the the middle pack of the NFC has kind of come back to them, they're looking around that locker room saying, "Hey, why not us?" And on Sunday Night Football, we saw just kind of an ugly game between the Rams and, and I mean the Ravens and the Browns. I mean the the Ravens tried to gift wrap this game for the Cleveland Browns. You have as ugly a football game as I can remember in a four-minute stretch in the the, uh, final moments of the first half where the teams trade turnovers back and forth, including three interceptions by Lamar Jackson, which he was not happy about after the game. But even with all that, the Browns could not capitalize, could not run the football effectively. Uh, Baker Mayfield was not able to uh, uh, lead them on long, extensive drives. And uh, even with having all of his weapons uh, back there, I mean, you wonder, is he trying too much to be a hero here and playing through the the shoulder injury to his non-throwing side? Is that, in the long run, uh going to cost the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they they face kind of a, a weird scheduling quirk here because they have their bye coming up here in week 14. And then they play this Ravens team again, this time in Cleveland. You know, what, when they come back from the bye, hopefully they realize that you can give Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb more than 15 carries in one game, especially with how limited Mayfield is right now. Or, no, maybe he heals up enough to uh, be more effective. I mean, who knows? The the Cleveland Browns have been a very, very befuddling team to figure out this year, and that goes against everything we expected from them this season. All right, got to take one final break. Come back and finish things up for Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you 
also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, I don't talk much college football on here, but this was the final no, week of the regular season uh, rivalry weekend uh, this past weekend, and the rivalry weekend left us with a uh, couple of big things here. Number one, the, the fact that the Oklahoma Sooners now need to search for a new head coach. I, I was stunned by this announcement last night that Lincoln Riley is leaving for U- USC's head coaching opening. I mean, could it, does it have something to do with the fact that Oklahoma's leaving for the SEC in the next couple of years? Who knows? But that's not until 2025. I figured if he was leaving between now and then, that it would be for the NFL, not for another college program, especially one that's been less successful than them in the last decade. I mean, the USC's won the conf- their conference title one time since Pete Carroll left in 09. Well, under Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's had two Heisman we have to go. Good night, everybody. They have a, a combined record of 55 and 10, 37 and 7 versus the Big 12. They've won the conference title Thank you for all the fun. Years Thank you. 2017 to 2019. Uh, we're in here hey, six up, bowls each of the, the last four years, although I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. Last year against Florida. That was a very surprising move. Now, well, the only thing that would be more surprising is if Oklahoma got their dream hire and hired Cliff Kingsbury away from the Cardinals, something that I think that's a pie in the sky. Connecticut kind of School idea. of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. Now, I mentioned you know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content with, uh, is everywhere. The, on air, uh, online, on the go. More uh, than ever, companies no, are looking for people to help air drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get now, hands-on Cincinnati training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. In you see a radio station, easy, they also know how to shoot, fast. edit, and post videos. But there were some a pretty you know, surprising things. You know, that's a Oklahoma and what would turn out to be Lincoln Riley's last school of broadcasting with locations uh, up and down the East Coast, Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. To uh, uh, TV shut radio. down uh, Williams and company on the final drive and um, hold on to um, the outside shot that they have of making the uh, playoffs. No, uh, Michigan finally, about damn time, ends their eight-game losing streak to Ohio 
State, thanks to you know, the running back Haskins having a big uh, performance and getting a dominant uh, outing by Aiden Hutchinson uh, with three sacks and saying to everyone, Let, let's uh, cool things on uh, just uh, declaring who's the first overall pick in the, the NFL draft. Maybe I'm the the best edge rusher that's going to be available in this draft. At least that's what's got to be running through his mind. And then you got you know, Wisconsin choking against uh, Minnesota. Minnesota who had nothing to play for and uh, blowing their opportunity at getting to the Big Ten title game, allowing Iowa, who was trailing at, at halftime to Nebraska, to take advantage of Nebraska's quarterback, Logan Smothers, committing two turnovers in the second half, including a, a pick at the goal line with less than a minute to go. Iowa getting themselves back into the Big Ten uh, title game where they'll play uh, Michigan next week. And, you know, we still have so much in the air when it comes to the college football playoff because right now you look at the top four is Ohio State, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Alabama. Or, excuse me, Georgia, um, Michigan, um, Cincinnati, Bama. You know, someone's going to lose in the SEC title game. You know, if Alabama beat, beats Georgia, are they still going to take both teams? Or will that open up the window for either Oklahoma State or Notre Dame to step forward? Notre Dame, who... I, I always hold it against Notre Dame because they're not in a conference. And that they're not going to be playing this week while everybody's going to be at risk. I more so you know, favor what Oklahoma State's going to have to uh, go through in playing a conference title game. Will it also potentially open up the window for you know, a two-loss team? Say, Let's say... In the Pac-12 uh, championship, how about what if Oregon blows the doors off the Oregon? Will they, will they get it? Or Baylor blows out uh, Oklahoma State, and, and you have losses by Georgia, you have losses by Michigan, losses uh, by Cincinnati uh, against Houston, which is a uh, very reasonable. Uh, Houston's a, a formidable uh, team in their own right. I mean, there's so much up in the air that this Saturday is from from noontime to about 11.30 at night is going to be so captivating. And, you know, some most times we know what we're going to get from college football. Are we really 100% sure we know what we're going to get? Because... There's no guarantees that Georgia's still undefeated. I mean, we we need to see a Nick Saban disciple beat him in an SEC title game for me to truly believe it. There's no Cincinnati. They're put in the, in the hot spot. They're put in the pressure cooker. No, they 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 don't just get a cupcake this week. They go up against a another legitimately top twenty five team in the country. Michigan. They're coming off the high of highs of finally, for the first time in the Jim Harbaugh era, beating Ohio State. But they go up against Iowa, who we thought was a pretender earlier this year, 
has started to get their act together after a couple losses in the middle of October, and now thanks to Wisconsin laying an egg, have a chance to make Michigan's life miserable late Saturday night. So there is still a lot left to be decided, a lot on the table for these teams to battle for in the last couple of weeks or the last couple of games, should I say. And I will close it out with this today. We've seen all of these teams in baseball making moves in free agency with, as I've told you, Wednesday into Thursday, Wednesday night into Thursday morning being the beginning of what we expect to be a lockout in baseball. Will someone go remind the New York Yankees that you're allowed to spend money? You're, you know, I don't want them doing something stupid like they did years ago with Jacoby Ellsbury. But I don't like the fact that they've become so luxury tax beholden and hesitant to spend, especially when you're seeing they have a need at shortstop, they have a need at first base, they uh, apparently want to. Uh, make a change at center field should add a starting pitcher. And all we're hearing about with them is potential stopgap options at shortstop or trading for a, a good defensive catcher in Jacob Stallings from Pittsburgh, but is you no, know, not going to knock anyone's shoes off offensively. I mean, somewhere, some, Someone please go remind Brian Cashman, go remind Hal Steinbrenner that you are allowed to spend money and remind them that you are the Yankees. You are not some small market club. I mean, hell, even the Rays spent money the other day locking up Wander Franco to an 11-year, um, $182 million excuse me, contract extension. Yet the Yankees, all we hear about with them is wanting to shop at the dollar store and be holding to this luxury tax threshold. Really, honestly, makes absolute no sense to me. You know, why they are not going out there pressing harder for free agents when there are clearly guys out there that can fill needs for them. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports M3. For Monday, November 29th, 2021. Everyone, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.